Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. You know, during this time of the coronavirus and COVID-19, a lot of agencies are dealing with new and better ways of dispatching incidents and getting out to the scene. One of the things we wanted to talk about today is the multi-agency collaboration especially with all the regionalization going on, sharing of data, um, making sure that others are knowing what's going on, and then also getting assistance to be able to respond to the influx of calls that may be happening. No time since 9-11 has multi-agency collaboration uh, been thrown into a test like we are today. Uh, so with that topic in mind, we've actually brought in someone. I've got Pete Prater on the line here. He's the country manager for Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure over in the U.K. Pete, welcome. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and give a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys on uh, the Hexagon Radio. Um, I only joined Hexagon two and a half years ago. Prior to that, I was uh, working for other uh, supplier agencies in the UK public safety environment. So my experience in critical communications, uh, command and control, goes back some 38 years now, although I know I don't look old enough for that. Uh, 15 years in the British Army, uh, where I was looking after uh, mobile and fixed communication centres. 12 years as an independent consultant to public safety and security agencies here in the UK and indeed abroad as well uh, throughout the world. Uh, And the last 11 years as a supplier. Beyond that, in my sort of voluntary capacity, like we all have to do, uh, 25 years as a member of British APCO, um, uh, for which I'm also a life member. Um, and three years ago, I founded the International Critical Control Rooms Alliance, uh, which is an alliance formed to allow critical control room managers to come together and, and share um, their collaborative uh, views on life. And uh, uh, they all have the same problems, so find out how other people's work and, and how they overcome problems. So that's me, two and a half years here in Hexagon. That's great. No, and to that comment, that's why I love podcasts. We all look awesome on podcasts, so I can definitely say that with assurance. That's for sure. So, so Pete, you got a, a pretty good background here. I mean, I'm guessing during that time, you've had some incidents where you've had to understand why multi-agency collaboration is so important, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's something that's that's really only come to the UK in, in maybe the last 15, 20 years in a big way. Um, and still today, it's 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 coming off of the uh, uh, off of the touchline, you could argue, to become mainstream. But collaborations are a fantastic, a fantastic ideal. Uh, you've just got to get there, um, and it's a lot of hard work to get there. But you know, if you can achieve collaboration, then there's many, many uh, benefits and rewards of doing so. Just to name a few: um, the sharing of knowledge amongst organisations, uh, best practice. Increase in potential for innovation, uh, maximize return on your investment, financial savings and the better use of these existing resources, uh, appropriately uh, managed product roadmaps, stronger voices, uh, better coordination of activities. I, you know, I could go on. There's, there's many, many benefits to closer collaboration, but uh, it's not easy. Um, takes a lot to get there. Yeah, you know, you talked a little bit about the time. I know that, um, you know, I remember here in, you know, in this world of emergency services in the U.S., you know, Homeland Security uh, after 9-11 was built. So the Department of Homeland Security came in and then President Bush put into effect, I believe it was March timeframe. I think it was 2004, um, if that if memory serves me correctly, basically asking for some type of incident management structure 
to where instead of just having random, you know, people coming in, agencies coming in in a system, this is where this is where NIMS, as we call it here, um, was put into place. So the National Incident Management System was put into place. And I know that since 2004, 2005 timeframe, agencies have adopted this standard. And the nice part about it is I think we're going to see how well this has worked. Some of the large incidents that we've had since then, hurricanes, um, you know, wildland fires, uh, multiple natural disasters, and now all of a sudden the coronavirus is testing this theory. And you know what? Getting good multi-agency collaboration, there's some huge benefits to that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, John, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, 9-11 in this regard. You know, what often takes something to, to make things happen, and uh, in my experience, that is totally around things like disasters, terrorism, funding. Uh, you know, so much was made of things like the tsunami and 9-11, and here in the UK, we had the, uh, the King's Cross underground fire many years ago. We've had the Soham murders, uh, London bombings, and the riots. These are all all uh, drivers for change and uh, for some time people will talk about gosh we should be doing this differently and why why isn't one agency talking to another either horizontally or vertically uh, and before you know it everyone's talking about collaboration and then it goes quiet for a while uh, perhaps that's the same in the u.s yep i think you're right you know years ago um you know i was a volunteer firefighter uh since uh the the early 80s and during that time, you know, we used to we used to call it ICS, right? We had an incident command system. So when you got on the scene of a large fire, let's say, uh, you know, you had an incident commander. Everyone knew to check in there. You were put into different staging categories. Um, you know, you had different areas of the scene that that you were given to, and everyone who was in command and everyone kind of followed that. And what I liked about the NIM structure was, in you know, some of this collaboration that we're talking about is the ability to expand that out to where now we've got this structure that's not just for the on-scene personnel, but it's actually just a set of standards and it's a set of, of, of items that people can start doing some pre-planning with and really get in tune. How are they going to work together? I think to your point, it always comes to light when there's a large-scale incident. You know, everybody's all about everybody's all about the the multi-agency collaboration whenever the large-scale incidents here but you know what this it's interesting right now with the corona virus going on in this pandemic that we're dealing with it's the small incidents but they add up to become a large incident i guess if you will yeah no i, I would agree, agree with that uh, obviously what we're seeing here in the uk is pretty much the same as the rest of the world is seeing uh, different you know certainly different approaches in different parts of the world but the overwhelming thing is, uh, is stay indoors and keep out of everybody else's way. And this is OK for, for, for many people, but not for these critical workers who are uh, keeping us going and keeping us safe. And uh, particularly here in the UK, we're already seeing an influx of uh, work into safety and infrastructure uh, from our ambulance customers, uh, particularly. Uh, they are now being told to respond in a certain way and bring in new functionality to support uh, the, the COVID uh, situation, and, and this is something that's taken us a bit by surprise, but we're reacting well to that. And again, it's not just the ambulance, but the fire and the police are all seeing in their own way uh, different impacts on the way they're having to do their business and, and also different business coming through. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that's uh, that, that's starting to have an impact here as well. No, it, it, it is. And you know what? 
I guess my my thought is, and again, being an emergency service person, similar to yourself, right? You you've been in the business a long time. I I guess I just assumed that this was pretty much common sense approach, right? You know, I just assumed everyone was doing it. That, that uh, you, you know, think so. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you no, talk but, to that piece? But that's 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 not the, necessarily the case. I mean. Uh, back in 1999, I was an independent consultant and I uh, was commissioned to do a piece of work at that time uh, by a UK ambulance trust that was thinking about collaboration, but it wanted some evidence as to what was going on out there. Um, so they commissioned me to do this report on international collaboration experience. Um, so uh, quite handy for today's uh, interview, frankly. But um, yeah, you know, I, I wrote to a number of people I knew in the US and Canada, Australia, and then in the UK, just to try and get some understanding of what's going on. And uh, I've got to say, and it's not easy coming from a Brit to tell you this, but at that time, the US were well ahead of us uh, in terms of their uh, collaborative experiences. Um, you know, I, what I learned from the likes of Fairfax County, Orange County, uh, and uh, Bellevue in Washington, um, you know, you've got significant experience dating back to at least the 70s, I mean, possibly earlier than that, but certainly to the 70s, of working together uh, in, in outsourced PSAP services, look, looking after multiple police, fire and EMS departments in one place. Uh, my particular experience, I actually went and worked in Bellevue, uh, Washington for a little while, uh, just uh, I think north of Seattle, if I remember rightly, uh, yep. 10 fire departments and two police departments that they, they were servicing together. So, you know, the U.S. has had some good experience of this multi-agency, uh, certainly at the PSAP level for many, many years. I mean, the U.K. at that time, very limited and, and, and ad hoc in nature. However, we did start to get a little bit more interested in this. The U.K. government came forward with a, a thing they called the Invest to Save budget. Uh, they brought this forward in the late 90s and said, look, you know, surely there's, there's some benefits uh, in terms of savings, if nothing else, by working together. Uh, and that led to three examples, uh, one of which Hexagon was involved in under its uh, Intergraph guys at the time. Uh, we had Gloucestershire County and Cleveland and Wiltshire counties uh, all looking at how their emergency services could, could work more closely together at that time. Not great examples, not great outcomes in each case, but uh, you know, I guess they learned some lessons. And then similarly across the rest of the world, what was the story? Well, it's kind of similar to the UK. Um, uh, certainly across Northwest Europe and Scandinavia, um, but the rest of the world outside of Europe, no real evidence to speak of in terms of this this multi-agency collaboration. And uh, mm. I think that remains the case in many ways today. You know, it's uh, even here within the U.S., and I can give you that side of the house in perspective, as, as forward thinking, and thank you for that compliment, I think that the U.S. was, <laughs> Um, we'll take that one. Yeah. Um, they, it, it, it was interesting to me. And again, I, I said that my assumptions were, isn't this just common sense? And, and some of the reasons why that is, is because, you know, the agency that I was with, we were a multi-agency organization. Our 911 system here at the county, for example, we had, uh, let's see, was it 12 fire departments, five EMS, uh, five, uh, police departments plus the sheriff uh, all collaborating together under one roof uh, at, at our 911. And so we were the primary PSAP. There were several small municipalities that kept their own, you know, uh, dispatchers and police force. But for the majority of the county that I'm in, it's been working in collaboration uh, since the early 90s. So to me, it was kind of just common sense. But as I go around the U.S., there are a lot of agencies that are still single domain agencies. 
Yeah, and that's that's a great shame. Uh, we've already outlined uh, here in this uh, interview some of the uh, reasons why collaboration is much stronger. Um, mutual support is another one, prevention of complacency, prevention of surprises, greater transparency, lots and lots of reasons for this being a good idea. But no, do you know what? It's not just common sense. There's uh, also these days um, formal approaches that you can take uh, which encourage collaboration. Um, I think a lot of uh, people make a lot of money out of this sometimes. They go around, they find best practice, they put it together under one umbrella and call it something, and uh, and, and it sticks. And, it, and this has happened uh, in the UK. Um, a, a bunch of people here got together and worked out that collaboration was a good idea, and they wanted to put some structure around that to to allow us the, the opportunity to, to really study it in, in some depth uh, and consider how best it ought to be achieved. So we came up with a thing that we called at the time the BS 11,000, that's the British standard 11,000, and that's since become the international standards organization ISO 44001. So if you want to know anything about collaboration on a practical how do you do it level, go to see ISO 44001. It, uh, it's, it's pretty hard going reading wise, but uh, it, it's got some great diagrams in there and really does tell you that to become collaborative in style, takes a lot of work and a lot of time and, and that's just before you even work out who it is you want to sh and, and should collaborate with so uh yeah you know it, the, 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 there are there are processes and methodologies out there to help us collaborate yeah and i'm looking at the uh at the bs 11000 i guess that's an octagon here and how they lay that out it's 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 an interesting it, it's interesting how they all kind of fit together globally you know everyone's got their different spin on you know on the different ways that they lay it out but at the but at the end the foundation appears to be the same right it's it's all about awareness and you know doing internal assessments making sure that you've got roles and responsibilities laid out um you know working together in in from a technology point of view making sure data is being shared and that everyone's kind of in the know as they or before they respond um and then of course you know how do you how do you exit that strategy, right? How do you begin the incident, but how do you also end the incident? And having all that sound laid out to me, this is just what I'll say basic pre-planning. But gosh, it really comes in handy whenever it, it you know, whenever uh, it's needed and it, and it starts happening out there in the world. Yeah, well, you're, you're right, and um, you, you've drawn attention to this uh, BS eleven thousand octagon, and uh, it, it's incredible because the first four segments of this eight-piece uh, octagon here. Uh, talk about awareness and, and, and knowledge, uh, internal assessment and partner selection. Now, all of those uh, components of this octagon are being done by the individual organization. So let's say, for example, Hexagon wanted to get into collaboration with somebody. They, they'd have a period of awareness raising where they'd say, well, oh, this collaboration sounds like a good idea. Uh, what would be the benefits to Hexagon from this? So that's raising the awareness. And then the knowledge is, is all around you know, wh wh why it's a good idea. Internal assessment is what's going to change in Hexagon to allow us to become more collaborative. And then finally, partner selection, you eventually get around to saying, well, you know, who are the right partners? Now, they could be intra-Hexagon or they could be between Hexagon and its suppliers, Hexagon and its uh, uh, customers. Uh, and the same the same goes then for, uh, for example, a PSAP in, in Florida, maybe talking to its suppliers or a PSAP in Florida talking to a PSAP next door to it. Uh, so, you know, this is this is the way uh, collaboration is, is evolving. And then the final four segments of this octagon, working together, value creation, staying together and exit strategy is just saying, OK, well, if we're going to come together, what's the agenda? What's the what is the value we create by being together in a collaborative relationship? 
It could be information sharing, could be enhanced security, could be 101 different things. Uh, and this is why it's a great thing for Hexagon to be talking about this, because I strongly believe Hexagon, uh, as a collaborator, should understand why it's doing it um, and how it's going to work more closely with those organizations uh, it chooses to, to, to select. Yeah, it's definitely a great foundation, and it gives uh, you know a blueprint, if you will, for for setting this up. And again, as I said, at, le at least here in the U.S., and it's, it sounds like there's there's other places around the world that this is not common, and this is not something that, that that's been grasped. And I think, especially during this crisis that we're in, agencies are going to come out of the other end, and I hope understand the importance of 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 working together, collaborating, and having some type of setup. To where, you know, from a dispatch point of view or even field officers, you're not relying on your telephone. When I get an incident, I'm not pushing it out to uh, to my neighboring agency. I'm able to handle it with technology. I'm able to reduce speed. I know that you mentioned Fairfax, Virginia. They've been a longtime customer of ours. And one of the things they talked about in that region was, uh, I'll call it a CAD-to-CAD. -CAD. We can keep away from the, the, the special names that they've called it, but we'll just say a CAD-to-CAD -CAD, uh, setup. One of the, the managers there told us that, historically speaking, they would get a call in and they needed you know, assistance, mutual aid assistance nearby. It would take about a minute and 40 seconds for them to pick up the phone, enter the information, get someone on the other line, repeat that information with them, have them enter it into their system, and then respond accordingly. So you got yeah. a minute and 40 for every time that you need that to happen. Technology came in and connected that up, and it brought that down to automation. Uh, automation brought that down to 15 seconds. That is huge whenever you're talking a large-scale incident where the phones are going off and you got multiple people calling, and you don't have time to be, you know, a minute and 40 on a call. John, John, you know as well as I do, in these kind of operations, every second counts, and, and you can't afford to have that. And that's a great example of a driver for change uh, and how uh, the systems should be able to overcome that. Uh, you know, what I particularly loved when I went to Bellevue was the fact that, you know, that, again, everywhere's different. Everyone's got a slightly different model. But in, in Bellevue, what I really loved was the, the use of common call takers to to take all the different types of calls that that PSAP had to deal with. Um, yeah, OK, then separate dispatch. But at least they were able to 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 not have to transfer uh, information in the way you've just described. But, you know, there are there's different models. When I talked about that investor save budget, there, there were three different models that emerged from that. But I mean, these different models can come anything and you, you can add a whole load yourself. But things like, mm -hmm. well, hey, you know, we can share the same site. All right. How about sharing the same building? Mm -hmm. OK, uh, the same floor of a building. Um, maybe we could share our operators. Um, I mean, for me, as I've just uh, alluded to, call taking seems to be the one that is most simple. Uh, but I don't think with a, it's beyond the wit of man to work out that you can do it in dispatch as well if you're so trained and you've got the right kit. Um, and then, of course, you then start getting to the shared technology. Uh, and perhaps these are these are the benefits of collaboration is to be able to actually procure something uh, that you can all share together. And I mean, that's got to help in terms of reducing cost at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it, you're right. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of this in action. Page County, Illinois, is is one of our customers that went live here uh, over the last several months, and um, I, I've talked about them before. And the reason is is because of what they did up there. So they're 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 west of Chicago uh, in Illinois to kind of put some uh, geography there in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, it is a large county and large region. And you're talking in mid-30s agencies around this area that were individual dispatch centers or, you know, maybe a few of them had, had, had joined up. But they brought all of those together. 
Now they've got them in two separate uh, dispatch setups and it is working awesome. They've had several, I'll say small incidents compared to these large ones like we've been talking, but they were, they were pretty good size incidents. And during that time, they have found that value uh, on just having people at the same site within the same building, understanding that, you know, whether they share operators or not, I'll leave that to the politics of each individual agency, but understanding that when a call comes in, the time that you're saving forwarding that on or picking up that phone and having to verbally transfer information, there's always a loss. Whether it's time or information, there's always that loss. And and I think what they're finding, as well as many others, is is this multi-agency collaboration is really kicking it to where they can they can do things quicker and better. And really, public safety is the one that wins in that. Absolutely right. And and you know you, you mentioned politics there earlier. That's it's such an interesting environment because you say to yourself, well, look, if this is so if this is so obvious, this collaboration, why are we all doing it? You know, what's the problems? So at that point, you start asking yourself the questions around these issues, these barriers to, to collaboration. And, you know, the experience that uh, I found was that, you know, this can come down to many, many different things. Uh, but at the moment, we, we have to cut through those. We have to cut through those in this time of uh, international uh, disaster, really, with, with COVID. You know, we, we need disaster recovery. We, we need business continuity. We need resilience in these call-taking environments and dispatch environments. And, uh, you know, if we're not collaborating, people are going to soon find, as more and more of them sort of have to take time off, that, that, that they're short. But, you know, the barriers, they, they, they're big things. I mean, they're real things, but they are, they are big things that can be overcome, things like culture. Uh, police working with fire. Well, okay, you know, uh, in the, here in the UK, we have numerous stories, numerous evidence of the way that uh, fire, police and ambulance are very, very different in their attitudes to life and the way they approach their work, their their historical backgrounds and things. And that all helps or doesn't help. Sorry. Uh, politics, uh, again, is a major player here. Uh, our government tends to be hesitant about mandating things uh, on the local level for fear of, of perhaps getting it wrong. Um, so government hesitancy is a, is a real problem um, in, in mandating get people to, to do this collaboration. I'll tell you where I find. I've talked to several uh, directors that have successfully done this. And you know the one thing they keep coming back, and it's just a simple term, it's communication. Right they, start, they, they start with just start talking. Get the chiefs into the room. Get the executive, the the city councils, the city, you know, uh, the, the the county uh, councils. Get them in the board and just start talking this out. Because what they're going to find is, I always say this word, and I just and I dread saying this word because I just see people just cringing or getting upset. But you know what? People want to keep their kingdoms, and uh, people, you know, they have now, their they have their control, right? You know, I always. There. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're talking my language, John. So I remember again. I go back to that survey I did at the end of the '90s, and uh, and I remember. I remember it was a U.S. colleague. I can't remember which one, but anyway, he said, "You know," because uh, I, I said I, one of the questions I raised was, "You know, what's what's the uh, the ways you can overcome this?" He said, "The biggest thing to overcome this is having a champion at local level yep. who cares more for the outcome and the citizen rather than their own job." And I thought, you know what? You can absolutely see it because you you, you start amalgamating things. Something somebody somewhere is going to lose a job probably, and what you need is 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 somebody who says, you know what? I don't care. It's for the greater good. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I've I've broached that same topic, right? Because people are afraid of, oh, well, if I if I go into a multi agency environment, you know, what's going to happen to my people? What's going to happen to my my personnel? And you know what? I guess. 
I guess at the at the surface level, you could say, yeah, there, there's going to be some savings, and, and you could have some people that, that, that do end up exiting. But you know what I'm finding, though, Pete, is they don't. What they end up doing is they start utilizing those resources internally where they need them. Mm-hmm. So, for, for example, you might have an IT person on a single – a single agency dispatch center may have an IT person. That IT person is not just working the CAD system and the radios and everything for that dispatch center, but they're also doing a lot of other work around that department. And what we're finding is that department merges with another, and they have a multi-agency environment. Their dispatchers can move over, and now the, those dispatchers kind of kind of gain a little more experience because now they're they're doing a, a few extra duties, you know, on shift. The IT personnel, though. They don't lose their job. They're actually utilized better mm-hmm. in that single agency. And I'll say to keep the lights on, if you will. Uh, but to me, it is such a great use of resources because it really comes down to that. I'm not so much worried about who's going to lose their job. I'm worried about everyone's working right now. We've said this before with, you know, doing more things with less personnel or mm. with less budget. And now, those people can be utilized where needed when they're not dealing with the extra, I'll say, burden of of trying to stay a single agency environment. Yeah, sure. No, I agree with that. Uh, it's, it's nothing people should be frightened of as long as they're ready for the hard work it takes to bring it together in the first place. But, um, yeah, we were talking there a little bit about some of these other uh, barriers to, to change. And, and, and one of those, uh, certainly here in the UK, is, is budgets, and particularly the way that those budgets are formed at governmental level, because, you know, uh, we have at the ambulance, the fire and the police uh, until recently all had separate uh, owners within the central government. So trying to coordinate budgets and, and what have you was a bit of a nightmare and, and thus was a barrier to to uh, affecting collaboration, really. Equally, and you've already hinted at it in, in, in this uh, session, the security of information. Uh, a lot of people would say, well, we can't possibly uh, collaborate so closely with that agency because, you know, there's information that we hold that really they shouldn't have. Uh, and, and there was a lot of lot of concern around that and, and how that could easily leak from one to the other. But equally, uh, and so often is the way in my experience, technology was an issue, was a barrier. I remember very much uh, a study I did uh, with a police force, uh, which was a national police force back in the day. Um, and it had many, many different control rooms. Um, and and it, it, the only reason it had all these different control rooms was because of its radio systems. Uh, they were aged, um, and uh, when they started talking about replacing them uh, with a modern trunk radio uh, system, the opportunity arose for them to combine the lot and collaborate around that. So from going from multiple hundred control centers, they could have gone down to one if that had been the right answer for them. And that was thanks to the European standard Tetra, and I'm sure you have your own uh, uh, APCO 25 or whatever it is in the States there. And, and these yep. were, these are the en- enablers uh, of, of change. Um and I guess an early generation command and control systems didn't necessarily make it easy to collaborate, but that seems to be changing, and certainly Hexagon has a solution to that. Well, and, and that's what we're seeing now with this whole COVID pandemic, right, is now all of a sudden people are realizing that technology is going to be able to assist them in making some of these decisions. I mean, we're talking to organizations that are segregating their radio room. They're putting dispatchers in multiple rooms, some are at their backup center, some are at their primary site. We're hearing things like 211 or 311 operators are working out of their house and with the with the invention of, you know, IP IP based radios and IP telephony, 
cloud-based CAD systems, and, and the list goes on and on, it's becoming a reality to where the technology is not the issue. It really goes back to the list of what we were talking about. It's still coming back to you've got to have that you've got to have that key stakeholder in there and that leadership who's going to be the champion that wants to start the communication, that wants to break down some of the political and financial barriers to change that culture within the organization. Definitely, definitely. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, the technology I think now is is at a stage where um, certainly from within Hexagon environment, you know, we, we can we can underpin an awful lot of these collaborative ventures. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so it does come down to the the desire uh, and the approach uh, to that organizational change. I mean, is is there evidence for this? I mean, yes, certainly now within the COVID nineteen situation, but. Uh, more widely than that, this has been this has been growing for for a few years. You know, we we've highlighted some of the threats every time that one of these things manifests itself. We get this boy. We should be collaborating much more. And why didn't Company A have access to Company B's information and what have you? But you know, things like the Smart City agenda are really uh, driving this discussion now. Smart City uh, was a bit of a uh, mystical thing for a lot of people for some time, but it really is climbing the ranking of most talked about subjects now. But you know, you can't achieve Smart City uh, without intense collaboration by all the required stakeholders in that investment, uh, be it citywide or whatever, John. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting. So I, I had to go back and look it up, but I remember an organization, and it was it was actually Howitt and Mackler, uh, and this is back in 2005. They came up with this this uh, concentric circle item, if you will. So 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 far, what you and I have been talking about is is really the first responders, the fire police, the EMS, the dispatch center, and and how they can collaborate better. But this centrality of emergency response is what they call it. Has three different levels, and you you mentioned the smart city. Uh, aspect of it and right now is where i see some of this happening so for example the first the first circle of responders is what we've been talking about fire Mm -hmm. police emergency medical emergency management the ones that we think about when we hear first responders okay that makes sense and then you got your secondary circle so now that brings in and this is where your smart city tie-in comes in that brings in some of the public works utilities hospitals public health uh social services in 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 others in that band but now what we're seeing and this is really the interesting part is you know again this was built in 2005 this isn't today's stuff this has been around for a while here for the last 15 years that third circle so now it starts bringing in private businesses charities community groups schools sure. Sure. if you look right now if you turn it on any news channel you are able to see all three layers of this it doesn't happen unless this large-scale incident occurs and I think that what, what could be some light at the end of this tunnel is we see the value of that. We all, as an emergency services personnel, start understanding it's not just about getting the call in to 911, getting a police officer or an ambulance out to assist that person, but it's also collaborating with, hey, what's going on in public health? And how can I bring in the public health people into this into this discussion? What about the private businesses that are turning now? Uh, I don't know what's going on in the UK, but I'll tell you, it, it, it's a it's a great thing happening here in the U.S. Microbrews and and all of these uh, distilleries around the U.S. are turning into hand sanitizer uh, groups. So yeah. we're seeing story after story of local microbreweries or or local distillers 
turning their their whiskey distilling into hand sanitizers and then getting that to emergency service personnel. It's amazing to me how all three circles are working together. Well, John, I'm going to come back on a lot of things, but I want to just bring a little bit of wit to it now. I, I kindly gave you one earlier, but um, may I say from a Brit's point of view, when it comes to your uh, your distilleries out there, most of them taste like hand sanitizer before this all happened. Oh, that, oh. you know what? I knew it. And I wouldn't even, I didn't even throw a soccer joke in or anything, but that's all right. You go. All right. You, you can that. scrub that one anytime you want. Uh, anyhow, my Bud Light. <laughs> but the smart city thing again totally right the smart city thing is is, is hugely important and, and i guess where did smart city come from originally it was the global cities all jousting with each other to become the place where people should do business you know come to dubai come to hong kong come to london you know these are the places where you want to come and locate your business and be successful okay to have that you need to have all the infrastructure etc etc underpinning all of that john is the safe city piece of that Uh, and that is why you know we have the big um, safe city agenda that goes on in your first two uh, uh, circles in your in your concentric ring there at the end of the day if your safe your city is not a safe city then you're not going to get people to come and invest in dubai or new york or wherever it happens to be you know you need to have that safe city underpinning uh, the smartness that you can then generate and the innovation that comes along on top of all that so again i completely agree with you uh, it's gone way beyond uh, just the emergency services uh, we can see this here in the uk too we are seeing uh, tenders and procurements not just being talked about but now actively coming to the marketplace bringing disparate organizations together from across those first two concentric rings that you mentioned you know why well deliver improved situational awareness to the dispatch decision and follow-up activities so you know if you don't as you said if you don't know the health situation you don't know the roads that are closed you don't know the uh, the, the health matters then then you don't have the complete picture of what's going on and you make the wrong decisions you know what? You're so right. And, and I'll tell you, when, when we say words like smart city or safe city, I think I'll say historically, and I mean like like just here recently historic, that conjures up immediately large, large infrastructures. In other words, when I hear smart city, I think agencies like New York or agencies like Miami or San Diego, you know, um, and, and you mentioned a few, right, Dubai, and, and, and those types. I think that's what people think about when they start saying, oh, well, they've got, they've got a need for that. What I would push out is that that smart city, I'd even change the words here and say smart city or smart county, mm-hmm. can be down to the smallest organizations within yep. the world here. Because to your point, whether I've got a large utility uh, that that maybe is a multi-state utility company and bringing that data in to my large city. Okay. That makes total sense. But think about it. If I've got like a, what we call a co-op over here, a small electric, a small utility organization that is running out in, in a rural area, getting even that data brought in, getting health information coming from um, smaller hospitals into a, into a smaller County, I think that's where we've got to take our our thought when we hear smart city. And like I said, I'm going to coin the phrase smart county. I think that's the way we've got to start thinking this is because it's not just for the New Yorks. It's not just for the L.A.s. It really is for the small rural departments in the small rural areas as well. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. As I say, what starts off in, uh, often as, as, as one idea, one initiative can, can be morphed and uh, uh, changed into to, to other areas to suit differing needs. And I, and I agree with you. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that you, you mentioned there is about bringing these organisations together to collaborate. And what, what's clear to me is, you know, and, and if you like turning it around to the hexagon itself, is, you know, Hexagon doesn't have all the answers and probably never will uh, in relation to this smart city thing. But what we are doing is we are adopting the right technologies to, to underpin the uh, opportunity to deliver these things. So we're adopting open technology standards platforms um, uh, that underpin the whole portfolio. And equally, I think we have recognized that it's not it's not Hexagon only that needs this, but by having these open standards, we are opening ourselves up to like-minded organizations to, if you like, form an ecosystem approach to solving those customers' needs. The other thing I sense that we're doing with our, our newer portfolio in safety is we're, we're designing in multi-agency from the outset. And I think that's a really, really important thing i agree and i think that to your point hexagon has provided these tools to be able to connect a lot of these in but there's so many good vendors out there that we work with that bring in you know i know it's the buzzword but the internet of things and whether whether it's organizations like rapid sos who's Mm -hmm. bringing in uh you know location information from cell phones all of these things work together to provide really a holistic picture of the of the incident, give that information well. Uh, now you start bringing in the safe city information into the organization. Now I'm sitting there as a dispatcher, and not only do I understand what type of incidents I have going on within my territory, but I may also understand, you know, where's the virus spreading to? Where's the largest concentration? Where are utilities up and running? Where are they down? Where's gas lines? All of this information gives me a really a big picture, and it's bringing in though that sensory data and all of those images from 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 not just hexagon products, but from all across the area and all across the region. Yeah, absolutely right. And this is a particular opportunity for hexagon uh, right across its, uh, its 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 global reach. You know, this is not something that is necessarily going to just come from headquarters. This is something that's going to have to come from the local level. Uh, here in the UK, we've we've opened up the doors and we've invited uh, niche suppliers to come on and have a discussion because, of course, you know, a lot of these niche suppliers are you know local level only, but required by our by our customers. Uh, one came to us just the other day. They uh, they've taken the time to produce an application which is concerned with dementia and missing persons. Uh, and, you know, this isn't the sort of organization that's going to be uh, doing the same business in Hong Kong or Dubai. Uh, but, you know, we need to be able to uh, have the facility here at local level to, to welcome these guys in, uh, explain to them how they can interact more, more closely with Hexagon uh, and, and then go to the market with that additional value add. Yeah. And, and you know, especially especially during this time, I keep looking ahead and I keep trying to figure out, what type of lessons learned are we going to have during this this global crisis that we're in right now? Mm-hmm. You know, unlike unlike some of the you know the, uh, the the mass shooting incidents or the terrorism attacks maybe that's happened in the UK, uh, you know the the 9/11 incident, uh, some of the wildland fires, whether they're out on our west coast or in Australia, sure, you, you could look at those as single events that affect that one locale or that country if you have to expand out a little bit i think what we're dealing with right now is this this global response that has occurred here recently over the last several weeks has been really interesting because at the end of this there's going to be data that we're going to be able to share 
not just how did cities within the U.S. handle it, but also how did the country as a whole, how did Canada, how did the U.K., how did Asia, and all of the different things are going to be able to combine to really make us stronger as we move into, because we always say it, there will be something else after this, just don't know when. As we move into that next big thing, I think we're going to be better, and I think that, that it's going to come out to where we're all better for sharing that information. I couldn't agree more. It's a, it is a time of learning. Uh, it's probably the first truly global incident of note. Well, most people compare it to the end of World War II, uh, yeah. but certainly uh, it's, it's a long, long time since anything like this has been faced by, by the globe. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really, really proud to be part of Hexagon and, and, and delivering solutions that can help that and support that. Uh, for me, it is genuinely exciting uh, to be working in public safety and security. It's lovely that Hexagon's got its new safety portfolio. Uh, we've got to get that out there. We've got to make it available to these people. Um, we, we here in the UK, we've just been uh, awarded a contract to supply the uh, Hexagon on call to London's Metropolitan Police. Uh, that's the largest police force in the UK uh, and, and very well known across the globe, as you probably appreciate. And, you know, undoubtedly in the years ahead, Hexagon will support London in its wider desire for safety and sustainability. Um, and because it wants to be the best city in, in the world to do business. So, you know, this is the power of collaboration and also the demand that underpins it. So, you know, it's there and, it, and I think it's there to stay. And maybe this time around uh, that the governments will mandate much more uh, collaborative um, behavior. Yeah, Pete, you know, we've talked about some exciting items here, and I think you're right. It is an exciting time for public safety. Some of the models that you've talked about to consider, whether it's at the same site, the same building, sharing of technology. You know, we've talked a little bit about the barriers and breaking down some of the, the politics in that culture. One of the areas that I would also add to that list, and I think that it's that it's important, is once you get that commitment and once you're putting in this in and you're getting that collaboration it really is about the consistency of use. And one of the things that I know from my time in emergency services is that it's got to be muscle memory. Whether it's an officer pulling a gun or it's a dispatcher entering an incident or a fire personnel understanding what to do on the scene of a fire, it's gotta just be muscle memory. I don't have time to pull a manual. I don't have time to learn something new. And what that means to me is we've gotta start using that today. We've got to start using this on the smaller items so that when it comes time for the bigger uh, events and the bigger incidents, it's just muscle memory and it's just part of our everyday world. I, I, I agree. And, and what I really, really like about what I'm uh, hearing about the Hexagon Connect uh, element of the portfolio going forward is the innovative ways we wish to offer this to the marketplace uh, to help these purchases overcome some of those barriers that we've highlighted previously. Uh, it, it, the, the idea of software as a service, um, yeah, I don't pay as you go, these kind of things. These are the things that we have to get uh, as suppliers. We have to recognize that maybe this is the way forward. These, these organizations, they want or they need to be constantly evolving in their functionality and, and feature set that they, they have from Hexagon. Uh, and anything we can do to, to allow that constant evolution uh, to flow, uh, that's got to be a great thing. And I, and I think that what I'm seeing from On Call and Connect, the, these are definitely the way forward. And, uh, yeah, exciting times. Nope, for sure. Well, Pete, thank you very much. Uh, again, I want to give you a big thank you to our guest, Pete Prater, uh, the UK country manager here at Hexagon. To hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com. And thanks for tuning in. 